If you have your Bibles with you today, please open them with me to the book of First Timothy chapter 1. First Timothy chapter 1. We'll be looking at just a few verses that close out chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. I've entitled today's message, Fighting the Good Fight. Fighting the Good Fight. Now, as we think about being disciples of Jesus, as we think about coming to faith in Christ, we're drawn by His love. We're drawn by His mercy, by His grace. And God has given such wonderful promise to us through the Word that we would have this close relationship with Him, that our life would be filled with love and joy and peace. True purpose and fulfillment is found in Christ. And yet we also discover that this journey with Christ also calls us to engage in spiritual battle. That we're invited to Christ by the free love of grace that he offers, but to follow Jesus in our day, in our time, and in any generation, there is going to be resistance. It's not all just automatic, is it? And we discover, and the Bible gives us many instructions about this, that we are to be good warriors, good soldiers for the Lord. The book of Ephesians tells us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces. There are spiritual forces that will resist our faith, our walk with the Lord. We're also noted in the book of Romans that there are worldly influences that will try to conform us. The Bible says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed that you might be able to accomplish God's will. And not only these outer forces that battle against, but even within us, there is a battle. The book of Galatians tells us that the spirit and flesh war within. In our hearts, we want to obey and be led by the spirit of God, but our flesh and the desires of the flesh contend with us. And so we have to battle. And even Jesus talking about coming to him, to him and following him, he definitely lets us know that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He tells us that he is the way to true life eternal and abundant life. But he also lets us know that it's the narrow way, that it, the, the way is broad that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life. And so we, we understand that the Christian journey is something of a battle. It is something that we will have to be very intentional about walking and fighting and holding our course in faith. Today's text is speaking directly to that. You remember our context here. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the local pastor named Timothy. Paul knows him. They have a long-term relationship. Paul considers Timothy his son in the faith. He's writing to encourage Timothy on setting things in order there at the local church. We've already seen through chapter 1 that he's encouraged him to you know, correct the misguided, self-appointed teachers that, that are there at the church, to preserve the doctrine, the, the, the grace of God, the gospel being the central uh, teaching there at the church. He's already given Timothy a great amount of instruction just in chapter 1. But now he's going to remind Timothy that you need to wage the war. 
These are challenging times, Timothy. The church there is going through a lot of confusion. You need to step up and engage. Be who God has called you to be at this time in that place. And I think not only Timothy is instructed, but I think all of us can find some instruction for our hearts. We too are living in challenging times. We too are called to be faithful in our generation with the faith, with the gospel, with the truth that God has entrusted to us as a church and as individuals. And it means waging the war, getting engaged in what God has called us to do. Take a look with me. Let's look at these three verses together, 18 through 20. And then we'll come back and look at a few things individually. Verse 18, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Wow, this is strong words from the apostle. This is not Paul writing to Timothy, hey, you know, if you can, kind of stay, help keep the church on court. This is like a military command. Hey, Timothy, step up. Take charge. Be what God has called you to be at this time. You're here for such a time as this. And we see at least three things that I'd like to look at here today. Paul talks about Timothy's calling. He talks about the course that he must maintain. And he talks about consequences of those who would end up shipwrecked in faith. Let's consider the call, the call to battle. Again, verse 18, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. I charge you. This is a military term. It's an urgent command handed down from the commanding officer, the superior officer. Again, not a suggestion, not a kind of, a, you know, something for Timothy to consider, but a real call of God through the apostle to walk in what God has entrusted to him. Now he says something about Paul, uh, Timothy's calling. According to the prophecies previously made concerning you. Now, I want to spend a little time this morning talking about this because there's some insight here for us. Apparently, Timothy didn't just appoint himself into this role of pastor at the church of Ephesus. Timothy didn't just self-call himself to ministry. Apparently, God called Timothy to ministry and God confirmed and established that calling through prophecies that were given to him. Some kind of divine revelation was given to Timothy to help him come to this place of ministry. And Paul is saying that confidence that God is the one that's called and placed you there is what you're going to need to fight the fight. Boy, you don't want to be out in battle wondering, is this what I should be doing? How did I get here? You better know that it's God who is, is with you, that God is for you, that God has tasked you. That's where your strength is to fight the battle that God would call us to fight by faith. Now, we don't know all the details. 
of how Timothy came to this understanding. We do have some other uh, passages that uh, reveal. We know that Paul said that, you know, we laid our hands on you as elders and prayed over you. We know that Timothy was recommended as a very young man. Paul, in coming through town uh, at the local church, all the elders, all the people said, this young man, Timothy, he's really a solid young man in faith. And that became the occasion for Paul to bring him and list him into the ministry. But then apparently there were additional confirmations. God establishing through this pro- pro- these prophecies that Timothy was in fact called and commissioned to be in this ministry at this time. So what is... What does Paul mean through prophecy? Sometimes when we hear that word prophecy, we, we kind of have some stereotypes. It's been abused, I think, in our time, and I'm sure probably in the Bible time as well. Paul spends quite a bit of ink on instructing the church at Corinth how to properly use prophecy and the gift of prophecy, what it is, what it isn't. Boy, we could use some of that instruction today as well. We, we have some that think prophecy is something that, you know, the way God is going to lead me and, and even chasing prophecies, looking for some prophetic word to be spoken over their life, into their life. And we have to be careful with this idea of prophecy. And let's just consider a few things here today. Firstly, prophecy does not exclusively mean a foretelling of the future. It can. A prophetic word can predict the future. As we read the Bible prophets, right, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they're talking about future events spoken through divine revelation by the prophet. But it can also just be foretelling of God's truth. In other words, it doesn't necessarily have to have a predictive future in its understanding. It is simply a divine revelation of truth. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 14.3. He who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. Nothing there of a future telling, but really just truth from God divinely revealed, prophetically revealed, that brings edification, that means building up, exhortation, instruction, and comfort to men. And so God's revealed truth, we could, we could say, is prophetic. And it doesn't have to be uh, kind of a mystical thing spoken with a certain kind of prophetic voice. Oh, God is speaking. You know, we don't need to hear it that way. We just need the truth of God spoken by His Spirit. How does God speak to us? How does God reveal truth prophetically into the life of His children? Most prominently, He speaks to us through His Word, through the Bible. The whole Bible is prophetic. The whole Bible is God's revealed truth to man. It's divinely inspired. When we're reading the Bible, you're reading something prophetic, a word for edification, exhortation, and comfort, something that comes from the Lord. And that word comes to life by His Spirit. His Spirit brings that word to life in your heart. His word ministered by His Spirit is the most prominent way I believe that God speaks to his people. It's the most prominent way he speaks to me. 
But it's not the exclusive way. God will also speak things into my heart. I have a relationship with the Lord, as, as do many of you. And God will impress certain things upon your heart. Now, it's important that those things run through the filter of his word. God is not confused. God is not going to say something in scripture and then say something completely, you know, differently to you personally. Oh, I've heard from God. Well, no, probably not. Because God's already spoken over here. Clearly, somebody's confused and it's probably not the Lord. You need to make sure that what you think you're hearing from God is at least in line with what we already know we've heard from God, right? That just makes sense. That's why you got to know your Bibles. That's why you got to run everything through the filter of the Word of God. The greater your foundation of God's Word, the more God can actually reveal and speak to you because you have a foundation of truth already there. And then God can use that as resource to speak to you. I read my Bible on a regular basis. That might be news for some of you. Aren't you glad your pastor does that? <laughs> but you know, I tell you, honestly, I read the Bible because I need to hear from God. I read the scripture with a sense of anticipation. Lord, I need to hear from you. I need, a, I need a word of encouragement. Does anybody ever need to be encouraged by the Lord? Okay, I'll tell you, you find it in Scripture. Sometimes I, I need a word of direction. Anybody ever need those words? Sometimes I need a word of correction. Now, I know nobody needs that, but I do. Boy, and I read the word and wow, it, it, it opens up my heart and I realize, oh Lord, I'm guilty as charged. God's speaking to me through his word, the Holy Spirit bringing it to life as I give place to him. And, the, and God's speaking should always be in line with his word. But God will, I think, also minister things to us. Uh, you know, you may be driving to work one day and, and, and singing a worship song, and the Lord speaks something into your heart. And, and, you know, that didn't necessarily come from your Bible reading, but it's a part of the Holy Spirit's leading you prophetically. And this seems to be what was taking place in Timothy's life, that there was a prayer life, there was a devotion life, he was connected with godly leaders and in a healthy setting spiritually, and God was speaking to Timothy. No doubt God was speaking to Timothy personally, and then God was confirming those thoughts and truths corporately through his brothers and sisters in Christ. I think God wants to speak. I think God wants to lead you by his spirit. These are the things that God uses. It can come from the pulpit. You know, I don't want you to raise your hand. I'm just going to assume that most of you at some time or another have had God speak to you from the pulpit. God raises up pastors and teachers. And, and, and through a sermon, the Lord speaks to your heart. He brings to life. It's coming from the word, but it's made personal by the Lord in your heart. That's, that's a prophetic word coming to you from the Lord using the giftings of his church and his word and the setting that we're gathered to receive and God is able to speak. It can come in a prayer setting, a small prayer group. You may be praying with some people and the Lord may give word to you 
that is being now going to be confirmed through someone else. He may, the Lord may be leading you to confirm something in someone else. You're praying for someone. Maybe you've experienced this. And God brings a scripture to mind. And you're not sure what's going on in, in this person's life, but God is. And, and you share, you know, as I'm praying for you, I feel the Lord giving me this verse. I don't know if it applies to you right now, but this is what it says. And I'm just offering that as a sense of what God may be wanting to say to you. We don't say, thus saith the Lord, absolutely. We say, this is what I sense the Lord may be leading. Because prophecy ultimately has to come from the Lord. And we're, we're weak vessels. We're not perfect. We don't have 20-20 vision when it comes to spiritual things. We have to be able to be corrected. We have to offer it in a humble way. But the Lord can use these things, these gifts of the Spirit, It'll always be conforming to his word. These are a few safety points for you. Any prophetic word, even a some, some that says something for you, oh, I feel like the Lord gave me this for you, it'll always conform to the word. Secondly, I believe it will always conform to the Holy Spirit within you. The Lord knows your number. The Lord knows how to speak to your heart. You don't want to be directed by words of prophecy coming from some other place that has never been spoken to your own heart. You want God to confirm things that he's speaking in your heart through outside sources, but the Lord will ultimately, I believe, direct you from within. Jesus said, my sheep know my what? My voice. You know the voice of God. God is alive in you. And then prophecy is not to be directive, taking you to do something you never even thought of. Wow, never thought of that. But it's a word of prophecy. I got to move. I got to go. I got to quit this job. I got to. And people led about by prophecies, but the Holy Spirit isn't leading them. They're following after other men's ideas about what God is calling them to do. No. You need to have that relationship, and God, if he does offer a word of prophecy, it confirms. Don't you know when Timothy heard the word of prophecy confirming his ministry, that, it all, that his heart leapt and said, Amen, it's what I've always been praying about, desiring. God's been speaking this to me, and now God is confirming this to me. It should confirm what the Holy Spirit is already witnessing within you. And I would say this finally as a point of safety. It should be confirmed and established. The Bible uses this phrase often through two or three witnesses. What I mean by that is that God is able to confirm those things that he speaks to you. So maybe you're praying about something and and then it's kind of becomes something you believe the Lord is doing. You're not sure. Let the Lord confirm it two or three times. Let the Lord show you the path that he's leading you to. He's able. You're not being reluctant. You're not being doubting. You're not being fearful. You're being prayerful and careful to be led by the Lord and allow the Lord to confirm these things as you walk and journey with him. All right. Here's a sample of how it might work. You have a healthy relationship with the Lord. That's a good foundation. You have a personal devotion life. You're in his word. You're knowing his word. You're studying his word. You're in a Bible teaching church and a place where there's some good safety and protection of doctrine around you. And in that setting, 
as you're praying and as you're living for the Lord, God begins to create a desire in your heart. A desire maybe to serve. It may be general at the beginning. You're not sure what it is, but you just become burdened to, to serve the Lord. I, I just feel like God wants me to be of service to him. That I want my life to be active in, in ministry in some way. And God will create that desire. God's spirit begins to stir in you. And then, all of a sudden, an opportunity presents itself. Here you are praying, here you are sensing, and then here's an opportunity. God seems to open a door. Maybe something opens up at the church. An opportunity to serve. You've been thinking about it and praying about it, and now, wow, they need help here. It may be outside the church. An opportunity opens up at work. You've been praying about something. You've been wondering if God wants you to do. You're stirred. And now, here comes a door. God is not, That's a confirming sign. That's God leading you, directing you. And this opportunity presents, and then as you're seeking this in prayer, all of a sudden God begins to confirm it through these words of prophecy. You hear a sermon or a message that speaks directly into this thing you're, you're, you're considering and praying about. That's a prophetic word, God confirming it. Wow. How did he know that's what I was thinking and praying on? And then the Lord speaks. Maybe it comes through a, your own personal reading. It seems like every verse in the Bible you read is now affirming and confirming the things that God is speaking into your heart. Maybe it's a brother or sister in the Lord that knows you. I've had people call me. Brother, I don't understand, but as I'm praying for you, this is what the Lord gave me. And it fits exactly with what the Lord is stirring in my heart. It's, these are, the, these are the, the ways that God will lead. And, and then you begin to take steps. You don't leap, you step. <laughs> you, you take steps towards what you believe, and then God confirms as you take steps. You walk through one door, and guess what happens? The next door opens. And you're not even sure what the next door looks like until you walk through this one. And then God is leading you. This is the way the Lord works. This is the gift of prophecy in action in the body of Christ. This is what happened to Timothy. Do you ever wonder, how did these guys figure out that this was their calling and their, 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 you know, their ministry? I mean, we know some, right? The apostles, they were personally invited by Jesus. We know the apostle Paul, he was knocked off his horse on the road to Damascus. I mean, okay, that's not happened to most of the people we see in the Bible. God is ministering in other ways, privately, personally, in their devotion life. And so the Lord wants to lead us. And I'm just giving you a flavor, a taste. There's much to be said. We need to be careful, but we need to be led by the Spirit. Let the Lord speak to you. Be hungry for that word. Be listening to his Spirit. Back to Timothy. Paul says to Timothy, through these words of prophecy, that by them you may wage the good warfare. As I said earlier, you have to have God you have to have a confidence that God has spoken to you in order to really engage and serve the Lord. This is one of the biggest um, challenges in ministry. People not sure about their calling. It happens to pastors. And sometimes we have to, you know, myself included, I have to rewind the clock. How did I get here? Because right now I'm here and I don't feel like I should be here. I feel like this isn't working. I don't know if this is the Lord. And I have to kind of rewind and say, well, wait a minute. How did I get there? Oh, yeah, the Lord spoke to me. 
Oh, yeah, the Lord opened that door. Oh, yeah, the Lord did that crazy miracle to make me take the next step. Oh, yeah, and then the Lord did this. And then, oh, yeah, that's how I got here. Okay, I'm here because God put me here. And this war right now is crazy, and I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I know I'm here to fight. I know I'm here to serve. I know I'm here because God has placed me here for this time, and I'm going to engage and trust the Lord. Paul is encouraging. He's reinforcing Timothy. He's asking Timothy to do some difficult things. You've got to get in there, Timothy, and you've got to straighten some things out. But remember, God put you there. God prophetically led you there. God is with you. God has empowered you for this work. Now, wage the good warfare. Engage. Do the work of the ministry. Put your hand to the plow. Oh, I think some of us are so reluctant to, to serve because we're so afraid that, you know, maybe it's not the Lord. Let the Lord confirm, but then take a step of faith. Engage. Put your hand to the work that God would entrust to you. For Timothy, it was pastoring. It was teaching and leading and protecting and defending the faith in the local church. But the Lord is speaking to all of his children. What is the Lord speaking to you? What is God stirring in your heart? Have you sensed his inspiration? Have you sensed his prophetic words stirring in your heart? And it could be, again, about a number of things. Maybe you're a husband here today, and God has been speaking to you about your marriage. God has been saying something to you about specifically about your marriage, something he wants to do, something he needs you to, to take a step of faith toward. You've got to be vulnerable. You've got you to put your life out there. You're not sure how it's going to turn out, but God is stirring. And maybe that's the Lord asking you to engage. Maybe you're a wife and the Lord is speaking to you about your marriage. And God is saying, look, this is what you're, I need you to do to save this marriage, to strengthen this marriage, to further what I've purposed for in this marriage. I'm giving you examples. You and your heart know. My guess is this. Many of you know exactly what the Lord is saying to you. You have a very good idea that God is speaking to you, if you're a parent, about your children, if you're a student, about your work, about your church, about serving, about ministry, wage the good warfare. Take to heart these prophetic stirrings that God is speaking into your heart and engage. Paul says, I command you, Timothy, go to the battle, run to the battle. And so we're called by the Lord. Secondly, from our text, not just the calling, but there is a course that we must continue on in the battle. Look again with me in verse 19. Having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck. Timothy, don't just go to the battle, you know, and haphazardly start swinging your sword. You need to go to the battle, and you need to be prepared to hold your course in the battle because the battle is going to rage. You're going to have opportunity to get distracted. You're going to have opportunity to get discouraged. 
You're going to have opportunity to get off course. But there's a few things that you need to do to make sure that you hold course. And he says that you need to have faith and a good conscience. Paul earlier in the chapter spoke of love from a pure heart, a clean conscience, a sincere faith. Paul is saying, these are the moorings. These are the things that will keep you on course as you fight the battle, Timothy. You must have faith. You must believe that God is with you and for you. And you must have the right understanding of the faith. You must, what you believe is important. You must be doctrinally sound in your faith. I believe that's what having faith is speaking of in Jude verse 3. It says, the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Having faith means holding on to the body of truth given to us through the word. As you fight the battle, as you run your race, keep yourself in the word. Keep yourself anchored in the faith. What is it that you believe? The truth of the gospel. The truth of God's love expressed to a dying world. Don't lose sight of that. God loves the world. He sent his son to die on the cross for sin. That the world through him by faith might be saved. Oh, keep that at the forefront in your waging warfare. Do you know the gospel is still powerful today? Do you know the gospel can still save? You don't need tricks and, and licks and, and, and all kinds of tricky ways. You need Jesus and him crucified. You need the faith. The gospel will save. The gospel will cut through our culture and bring people to life. The gospel can transform a life. The gospel can, can bring life from death. Hold the faith. As, we're, as, we're, as we fight the, the, the battle, you know, uh, I, I don't know if the gospel's enough. I, people are not just, you know, I don't know. They don't like it. I better, maybe, maybe we need to modify our message. Maybe we need to change our doctrine just a little to be a little more, you know, kind of where we can make more pro. You better hold course. You better hold the faith. You better hang on to the doctrine. That's why we teach and study the Bible. That's why we're, we're looking to God's word. We believe that that is the faith that we're called to have, the, the body of truth but also a good conscience. Faith speaks of doctrine. Conscience speaks of conduct. It speaks of the life that we're living, allowing the Holy Spirit access to my heart and to my conscience. Not trying to forge my way based on what I like or am comfortable with, looking for ways to compromise and still hold my course, even though I'm accommodating and detouring, but I'm still generally on course. No, a good conscience is something that must be preserved in the life of the church and the believer. You've got to allow the Holy Spirit to direct you. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Paul talks in other places about consciences that become compromised. He says in 1 Timothy 4.2, he talks about those that, have, that are speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. You know what a searing is, right? It, it seals off. It's not sensitive anymore. It's not raw, if you will. It's scarred up. 
And a conscience that is violated, a conscience that is ignored, a conscience that is put aside regularly becomes calloused. And Paul says, you'll get off course, Timothy. As you wage war, you've got to hold faith and you've got to keep your conscience good before the Lord. You've got to obey the Lord. You've got to be sensitive to the Lord. The Holy Spirit needs clear access. If he needs to correct something, if he needs to put his finger on something, your heart is available. Don't let it be seared. He says in Ephesians 4.19, he talks about those who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. This conscience that has been numbed, that has been silenced, that has been quieted down, you can get to the place where you are past feeling the promptings of your conscience, which is often the vehicle the Holy Spirit uses to speak and to direct. I want my conscience always open to the Holy Spirit. Oh, Jesus, don't let me play games. Don't let me get to where I think I'm okay and you're grieved. Holy Spirit, you speak to me. You keep me on course. Oh, make those fine-tuned adjustments. I want my conscience right before you. There's great strength in that. Let me just say as a pastor, when your conscience is compromised, you can't fight at all. You can't go to battle at all. You're defeated before you step onto the battlefield. When your heart is right, your conscience is clean before the Lord, you feel strong. You're ready to wage war. Keeping a clean conscience does not mean walking in perfection. It means that my conscience before the Lord is clean. God will forgive me when I confess and acknowledge my sin. That's the way a clean conscience is maintained. Not through perfection, but through a quick repentance and forgiveness and a changed life in time as God is directing and leading and transforming us versus a conscience that is ignored. I don't need to confess it because it's not wrong anyway. Oh, I can do that. I mean, after all, it's legal. Oh, that's all right. It's no big deal. A lot of people do that. That's not confessing. <laughs> that's not getting your heart right with God. That's not being clean in conscience. I'm not saying you're going to walk perfectly, but boy, when the Holy Spirit prompt something, you get it right and get that conscience clean. Listen to this commentary about this holding faith and conscience. First is holding on to the faith, the objective deposit of the apostolic faith, right doctrine. Objective. It doesn't change. It's from the God's word. Second is holding on to a good conscience, the subjective treasure of a holy life. Those are the little decisions we make every day. That's dependent upon the Holy Spirit and my conscience. Armed with faith and a clear conscience, the Christian can withstand all hell. With faith and a clear conscience, you will finish the fight well. Paul tells Timothy, engage, you're called to fight, and hold your course during the fight. But in this holding course, he gives warning, doesn't he? He says that this, this, this faith and conscience, some have rejected concerning the faith have suffer, suffered shipwreck. That's the danger. Is it, if you get off course, you end up on the rocks, shipwrecked in faith. This idea of rejecting, it, 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 the word means to thrust or push away. 
It, it, it's that, that heart that, that just pushes the conscience aside. You're heading for shipwreck. When the conscience is violated, it's not long before doctrine is compromised. This is the way it works. I'm accommodating some compromise in my life, and so I modify my doctrine to help accommodate my lifestyle. It happens personally. It happens in church. It happens even to those who were at one time doing well in faith. As we approach the Bible, we come with a heart that allows God's Word to shape my life. I do not come to the Bible allowing my life to shape His Word. There's a difference. Allowing God's Word to speak and allowing my life to receive it versus coming to the Word looking for ways and loopholes to accommodate my lifestyle. I want to find Scripture that accommodates the way I want to live versus saying I want to live the way the Scripture demands and calls me to live. That is, a, that is a big difference in approaching God's Word, and it affects every area of our life. And oh, it is, it is of great concern today in our generation, in our culture. We have churches wanting to redefine doctrine to be more compatible with the culture. We can't allow the culture to shape the church of the living God. We have to allow God's Word to shape the church of the living God. It affects sexuality. It affects moral choices, our understanding of marriage, how it works, what God has designed. It affects our work and professional life. It affects our activity and the way we function in the body of Christ's church life. It speaks to our thought life. God's Word speaks in, in detail to all these areas. And boy, I could drill down on any one of those, couldn't I? And we could talk about the culture and the Word of God. How important it is to stay coarse. And how important it is that we not be shipwrecked. Twisting the Word to fit preference. Paul, excuse me, Peter, 2 Peter 3.1 he warns of unstable people who twist the Scripture to their own destruction. Maybe you know somebody like that. Maybe you know somebody that looks through the lens of their own desired lifestyle to interpret the Scripture. We see churches doing this, trying to accommodate culture. They're changing doctrine rather than allowing the Scripture to impact the culture. People need Jesus. The world doesn't need to come to a church that is more worldly. The, the world needs to come to a place where there's truth, where there's love, where the gospel is clearly presented. We're not here to condemn. We're not here to try and debate. We're here to say, look, we're all sinners, but by grace, God loves us, and He has purpose for us, and He has destiny for us. He has calling for us, and it's found in His love. It's found in His Son, but it's found in His truth. 
and we cannot compromise it. Finally, today, the consequences of shipwrecked faith. Verse 20, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may not learn to blaspheme. Paul gives examples to Timothy. Obviously, Timothy knew who these men were. He's saying to Timothy, Timothy, fight the fight. Hold the course, lest you be shipwrecked like a couple of guys we know. Hymenaeus, Alexander, whom I have delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Hymenaeus is mentioned in a couple of other places in 2 Timothy. Paul says concerning Hymenaeus, his message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past and they overthrow the faith of some. They got off on their understanding of resurrection and began to preach a different doctrine. And it was not only causing their trouble, but it was overthrowing the faith of those that followed them. Alexander, we're not sure who he is. It may be the one that Paul mentions in 2 Timothy 4.14. Alexander, the coppersmith, did me much harm. We're not sure, but we know this, that these were men who rejected the faith and a good conscience. They pushed away their conscience. They compromised their doctrine, and they shipwrecked their walk of, and journey of faith. Paul says, I have delivered them to Satan. Wow, that seems pretty harsh. That seems pretty strong. I'll confess, I'm not sure all of what that meant with the Apostle Paul. I'm not the Apostle Paul. I'm not ready to deliver anybody to Satan. But it may be that Paul is saying, look, I had to remove these men from the fellowship of the church. I had to ask them to step outside the fellowship, the protection, the covering, the, the love and communion of the community of the church because of their life, because of their doctrine, their unwillingness to be submitted to God's word. And they've been put back out into the world, which is the dominion of who? The dominion of Satan. It may simply mean that Paul removed them from the fellowship so that their lives would then be exposed to the trial and trouble of life in the world. You know, the church is to be a sanctuary. The church is to be a place where we can come and, and enjoy true fellowship with God and one another. Yes, we invite sinners to come and, and partake. We're all just sinners. But we're inviting you to come and, and come to, to the truth, come to faith, come to hear hope. Come to, to seek and find the Lord. But for those who are here for, you know, unsincere motives, who are just looking to live out their own compromised way in the face of the church, that doesn't help. That actually compromises the integrity of the church. And it doesn't help them either because they're, they're just playing games with the Lord and with the people. And Paul says, I've put them out. But the, the main reason that he's done this, to turn them over, that they might endure some of those consequences in their life, it's for the purpose of rescue. He's not saying they're shipwrecked and they're done. He's saying that they may learn. I'm asking them, I'm, I'm instituting a discipline. We don't discipline our children to, to, to destroy them. We discipline them to train them. 
Paul is saying, I've set them aside so that the consequence of their actions will become apparent to them and they'll learn not to blaspheme, not to speak these false doctrines, not to participate in these compromises, to come back to the truth, to come back to the faith and a good conscience. Paul's heart is remedial, to save, to rescue, not to punish, but to give hope and help that they might allow the Lord to reveal to them the error of their ways. You know, that's, the, that's sometimes the best prayer that you can pray. For someone that's living in compromise, for someone that's living in, in a defiled conscience, you know, sometimes the best prayer is, Lord, let them experience an, enough consequence to awaken them. Now, don't start turning people over to the devil. Let's leave that to the Apostle Paul. But say, Lord, allow them to see, allow them You know, the prodigal son, when he was at rock bottom, what did he do? He came to himself. Lord, help them come to themselves. Help them see that their pursuits are empty without the truth. That their justifications are are not going to bring the true peace and joy and fulfillment as as a right relationship with you. You've got something better. You've got something better for them. You've got something better through them. You know, the church does not always know all that's going on. There's no way we can know all that's taking place in a congregation, but the Lord knows. And the Lord does bring consequences. They do surface. And, it, and, and you have to understand that when God allows some of these consequences, some is just trials. Listen, you can do everything right and you're going to have trials. But some are consequences of your own doing, and God allows that to stir up in your life because he's trying to train. He's trying to protect you from the rocks of shipwreck. He's trying to bring you back on course. I'm going to close here today. Just a question for you. Are you ready to wage the good warfare? Are you ready to engage in what God is calling you and me and us to do in our generation, in our time? Are we willing to hold faith in good conscience? Are we willing to allow God to be glorified in our lives and through our lives for his purpose in this time? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for just these few verses so strongly spoken to Pastor Timothy. And Lord, I I pray that it these words would speak to us today. They are prophetic. They are alive with revelation from God. And I pray, Lord, for for my own heart. I pray for the hearts of my brothers and sisters here at this church that we would have faith and a good conscience, that we would wage the good warfare that we would obey and follow the calling, the prophetic words and leadings of your spirit, and that we would find ourselves finishing well. And as our heads are bowed here today, I do want to give opportunity if there's anyone here needing to respond to the Lord. You know, it may be that God has spoken to you very clearly today. We talked about a prophetic word. God may have spoken to you just in this past hour. And a sure word from heaven that I can tell you is that God loves you. 
and that he desires a relationship with you through his son, Jesus. And it may be today that God is simply saying, come to me. Get started in this journey. Come and receive forgiveness. Come and receive my grace. Open up your heart to my purpose, my love, my plan. It's not too late. You're not too far. I love you. And that may be the prophetic word for some hearts here today. I'd love to pray for you if you want to receive Christ. Maybe you're here today and you need to come back to the Lord. Maybe you are off course and you know it and the Lord's speaking to you. You know that you've drifted away from that sincere faith and clean, good, pure conscience. And God wants you to come to him, confess, get your heart right. It's time to engage. It's time to step up. Stop playing games. Get real with Jesus. Let him cleanse you. Let him set you on his course. You know that he's speaking to you today. I'd love to pray for you. So I'm going to ask you to respond this way. If you're here today and you want to receive Christ or you need to recommit your heart to Christ, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and let me pray for you. Anybody here today, God is speaking to you right now and you need to respond to him. God bless you. There's a hand over here in the center. God bless you. Another one. Lord bless you as well. It's between you and the Lord in the back there, far left, my right. God bless you on the aisle. We're just going to pray. Anyone else? The Lord sees. The Lord knows. He's calling you. If he's speaking to you, don't harden your heart. Don't silence your conscience. God bless you. Don't reject this moment. Don't push it away. Don't, don't, let it, don't let it pass. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. The Lord's speaking to you. Open your heart. Let him confirm it. Let him establish it. Anyone else, just before I pray, raise your hand high. Lord, for these hearts having responded to you today, I pray that you would meet them with your love, with your forgiveness, with your mercy, with your grace. Lord, a clean conscience is not a perfect life. A clean conscience is a life that's been made perfect by the blood of Jesus. A life that has been forgiven and cleansed by a loving God who has given his son. And so today, Lord, I pray that these hearts would simply pray honestly to you and say, Jesus, forgive me. Cleanse me today. I want my conscience clean before you. I believe you died on the cross for me. You rose from the dead for me. I'm embracing your love, your mercy. I'm embracing your calling on my life to walk with faith and a right conscience before you. I'm committing this to you. I'm asking you by your grace to work in me by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.